All right, so last week we talked about um, that we wanted to move from being a spectator to a participant when it comes to prayer, when it comes to worship, and we needed to look at that, how we needed to recognize the importance of unified prayer because it's being part of something bigger, something greater, and we align our prayers together within the community um, of a common purpose, seeking God, his will, and bringing about his kingdom on earth as we align our lives together uh, and God's purposes, values, and guidance. So if we want to move from that, we talked about unified prayer, and we talked about uh, we need to experience God in those times and be open to his experience and what he wants to do in our lives, to positive change, changes in the larger context. And then we also talked about that we actually had to do something. We actually actively had to do something about it. Today I'm going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. Now, we'll reference things before and things after, but this is the part I want to really focus on this morning. And Acts chapter 1, 14 to 17 goes like this. They all join together certainly in prayer. Now, I'll stop right there. In other versions like the King James, it does actually translate this in one accord, or uh, in other translations it says with one mind. So they all join together in one accord or with one mind along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up, uh, stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture has been fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago uh, through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Now you're like, that's a little weird place to stop, but we're going to address it in just a little bit. But this this scripture continues as we go further on, and it shows the process of them praying and then picking uh, disciples to replace a disciple to replace Judas, and then they because um, they, they wanted somebody who actually was there, who actually saw what happened with Jesus, uh, Judas was what happened with Jesus on the cross, the life, death, and death and resurrection. So um, they needed to know what their next step was, and there are times in our lives when we. Uh, are unsure of what our next steps are. It, it's in those times that we need to spend time in prayer because God's people pray, and when they do, he gives wisdom. It can't be a second thought. It can't be when we're only in trouble. It can't be when we're only struggling. It needs to be a regular thing. And we talked about this many a times, the discipline of prayer. We've talked about that, spiritual disciplines. Today's biblical message, this chapter, um, comes along, and, and, and it's after Jesus' resurrection, uh, rising from the dead, he spent time with the disciples, then ascended into heaven. So Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses, briefly uh, recounts some of those events. And after he rose, some of the disciples returned to Jerusalem and joined the other believers. We see that in verse 12 and 13. So now, this has all happened, and everyone's going, now what? So they're trying to figure out what to do. What is the next step? So they all gather together. And they're like, we got to figure this out. And they're trying to find support because of what they've just witnessed. And I don't think we, we understand sometimes what they've seen, and we don't put ourselves in their spot. But they've seen something, and it's been, I would say, pretty traumatic. Uh, their lives are still at risk. There's a lot going on here. And so this, this specific um, scripture today looks at the power of prayer and, and how it starts in the upper room um, in this specific incident, where the disciples were staying after Jesus rose. And verse 14 describes the believers as being with one accord, or as we joined together, uh, devoting themselves to prayer. 
One commentator says, the, the Greek word actually is, well, actually most, all commentators say that it means with one accord. It's a single Greek word, and it means to be of one mind. And they would understand that back in their day a little bit more than we would because we're not always of one mind. But it's, 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 like, a, it's like a symphony. Everybody's going in the same direction. You, you have different parts to play, but you're all going in the same direction. And you're all focused on what that's to sound like and look like. But, but at the same time, you have different, a different position, a different spot, a different um, contribution to that group. So what are the believers praying about? Well, we, we don't really know. We don't know what they were praying about. We know that they were praying about direction. So we know that they were trying to figure out what to do next. But all those indications say that they were praying to God for wisdom. They wanted to know what to do. What's the wisest thing I can do? So before Jesus' ascension, the disciples hoped that the next step would be restoring the kingdom of Israel. We know this. We've talked about this. They wanted a king. So they're like, oh, whoops. Now what? And so they, what is the next step? Jesus made it very clear. We know this. Jesus said many times, no, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit after I die. It's going to send. So they gather for prayer, and then after praying, good old Peter stands up, says, all right, everybody, this is what's happening. We've got to find somebody to fill Judas's role. We've just got to do it. What's, what's the reasoning behind it? I don't know. But he, but he feels they need to, and they work that out. After spending time, they're able to figure out a way to do it. There's a consensus, and then there's the next step. I don't know if you know this. Peter was kind of known as a stubborn guy. You know him. Do you know of someone who is stubborn? Don't nudge the person beside you, but when it comes to, to asking for help, have you ever been in the store and it says, Please ask for assistance. There's a sign right there. They'll say, please don't reach the stuff on the upper shelf. Ask for assistance. And I'm like, I'm 6'2". I don't need your help. I can, get, I can reach it. Thank you very much. First of all, it's a liability issue. <laughs> it's all legal stuff. But there's, they know that people need help. Businesses realize people need help. They don't know what they're doing. Ever walked in a store and went, where is everything? What happens when your favorite grocer moves, moves things to another area? You really like that, don't you? It's always in the same spot. It's always here. And you stand there and you go, where is it? Why isn't it there? I don't know. And then me, I spend the next half hour wandering the store because I don't need anyone's help. And I still can't find it. And then I come home and say to Michelle, they don't have it anymore. And she goes, I know they have it. I'm like, they don't. She goes, they have to. They always do. I'm like, wasn't there? Did you ask anyone? <laughs> Did you ask anyone? I don't need to. Or she'll send me, there's a whole other story on this one. She'll send me to go get chocolate chips and I buy chocolate chip cookies. I, that's a problem with my probably listening skills. But... But you go in the store, you can't find it, it's not there, and I won't ask. I sometimes do, but I think a lot of it is because sometimes we've asked, and we get bad direction. And so we go, I'm not asking anyone, because they lead me down the path 
in the wrong direction. I'm wandering around. I can't find it. They're like, some guy will say, oh, yeah, it's on the, you know, row 14 of the shelf two, uh, very top shelf. And you go there. It's not there. I'm in row 14. That's the second shelf of the very top shelf. It's not there. I, it's not here. So then I phone Michelle or text her. Yeah, you're out of luck. The, the whole world is out of whatever product you want. I don't know where it is. It, it's not as common now because of smartphones, but I don't know. We, have you ever been, um, you used to have to look at a map, like a, paper, like a piece of, I don't know, free youngins, piece of paper, and you would fold it out. It was folded many times. <laughs> and you would get this thing out and you'd be like, okay, it's on the table. And then you get your protractors and your other mathematical things and you try to figure out your, where you're going. You used to have to do that. Um, we, we were in Ireland, and we had a GPS, it wasn't really working, um, what can you do? Now, now, you have to understand my position. This is excuse time. I'm going to lay it out for you. I'm going to lay the foundation of my problem. I am driving in a car on the wrong side of the car. I am stick shifting the wrong hand and I'm driving on the wrong side of the road. So, sympathy, please. My very first exit out of the airport is a roundabout, a roundabout. And as you go, obviously, you go to the right. Huh? You do. That's the real world now. So I decide <laughs> to enter the roundabout in the opposite direction of what everyone in Ireland does. Michelle's like, you're going the wrong way. She's upset. And I'm like, we'll be fine. I'm an emergency scene driver. I can handle it. Don't worry about it. I got this. Up onto the curb, around. I go, I go where I want. That wasn't the end of it. We know where we want to go, kind of, sort of. I've looked at them. I kind of got an idea. We start driving. Now, again, I am the leader leading another car, a van full of people. I know exactly what I'm doing. And as I go... We're going down the freeway. I'm like, yeah, I think this is it. I'm going to go this way. So I go that way. I go through a toll booth. It's like, whoops. And I get right back on the same road, but in the opposite direction. And I went, well, that ain't right. <laughs> so, you know, off goes some euros in the thing. And, and then I go, I'm like, we're going to have to turn around. Michelle goes, yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, my father-in-law is wondering, where is he going? Turn around. Another toll. Like, hit that thing. And then it just became a game of me going through different tolls multiple times, throwing just random change in it. She's like, will you just stop and ask someone? I'm like, absolutely not. I will spend as much money as I have to until I run out of change in my pocket before I will ask anyone. And even then, I'm probably just going to look at the stars and guide my way with the moon. Like, it's, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. We did finally found, find our way about probably around 50, 60 euros later, we found our way back home. But we don't like to ask for directions when difficult times come, it's an ego thing. It's a, just trust me, I'm a little bit better now. Plus, I have my phone, so that's who I asked. And it, we did have another situation where we were following it, and it kept telling me to drive into a wall. There's a wall all the way down this, this, this road in Europe. It's a, I can't get through. There's no, there's no off-ramp. And so there's times when you, when you listen to what you think is right, or you ask directions, and it doesn't, it, it's, it doesn't work. And so you get a little bit shy of asking. And I think that's where we run into the problem with God, is that we're afraid sometimes to ask because we think we asked the last time and we thought we listened to what he said, but 
it didn't work in our minds. Or we're just afraid of something failing. There, there's lots of different reasons. But it's easy to get lost, and it's easy to not ask for directions. Why is this simple piece of Scripture and the fact that they came together to pray important? There's lots of reasons, um, but I have a few for you. It illustrates the important factors for the Christian corporate purpose, why we gather together. A lot of people have because of what has happened in the past few years, have, have stopped going to church or they decided to go wherever they're going and whatever, that's them. But um, they, some of the, so I've talked to many people who've said, oh, I don't go to church anymore. I just kind of watch, I have three pastors online. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have three pastors online. You're watching TV. You don't have support from other Christians. You don't have a, a small group where community can really build. You don't have it. You're just watching things online. That's cool. Nothing wrong with learning, but that's not, that's not spiritual care, okay? And you need to have spiritual care. You need to be able to talk with other peoples about your struggles and trials. And so I could go on, but I won't. So this illustrates, this scripture illustrates, first of all, a reliance on God. That's the very first thing that it illustrates. The disciples recognized, and everybody there recognized, that they needed guidance. They needed divine guidance, and they needed divine wisdom. They couldn't do it on their own. They didn't know what to do. They struggled enough when he was there with them. When Jesus was there with them, telling them things, they still struggled with direction. And he had to keep guiding them and pulling them back and turning, hey, you know, stop chopping people's ears off. Come on. Like, that's not what we're here for. Put the sword down. Right? Like, he kept constant. Even though he said many times, they're going to come and arrest me. They're going to kill me, but I'll rise again. They're like, no. They just didn't get it. And we wouldn't get it either. But despite these challenges that they faced and, and the absence of Jesus, the anticipation of the Holy Spirit was there. So they turned to prayer as a means of seeking direction. And that's amazing that they did that without the Holy Spirit being poured out on them. So it, why? Why did they do that? Why did they turn towards prayer and coming together? It's because it was a default response to their spiritual disciplines, to what they always do in the good and the bad times. It was their default. It demonstrates that their trust and dependence on God is on Him rather than solely on their own understanding because they, they, have, they don't know what the next move is. They don't know what the next answer is. When difficulties come your way, do you rely on God? Do you turn to prayer? Do you ask God why bad things happen, or do you reframe this, this perspective that you have and ask, how do I respond in the midst of these difficult times? How do I personally respond in trouble? The best thing that the enemy can do is to nudge you away from God because of your difficulties. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you need to lean into God when those things are happening. Sometimes we ask why. We always want to know why. That's, that's part of the Enlightenment era. That's part of the you know, 17, 15, 16, 17, 1800s in there. The Enlightenment area and the, the self-centered type stuff. Those questions of why, why, why. We want to know why. We always want to know why. But I don't know if you noticed throughout Scripture that a lot of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, they don't really always ask why. Yes, the psalmist asks certain questions and, and why, why, what's this going on? But, but that's part of lament. You can lament that. But 
That's a, they're, they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it through a process. And in the end, they always come out going, but God, you are God. And I will worship you no matter what. That's the end. And, and if you even notice with Job, at the very beginning, chapter one, what happens with him is, you know, there's the, there's the big, big illustration of God standing there and, and Satan goes, hey, I'm going to, you, you protect that guy way too much. He's only serving you because you protect him. And God goes, yeah, and that, now whether you think it's sadistic or whatever, well, that's a whole other story. But he goes, you can do anything, but don't kill him kind of thing. So phew, off he goes. Satan's like, yeah, I'm going to get him. And he doesn't. And in the very end of chapter one, what does Job do? He says, I will serve you. And he drops on his knees and he goes to God. He doesn't deny God. The only thing that Job actually does in all of Job, that he curses the day he was born. He doesn't curse God. That's amazing. He doesn't curse God. So their mindset is different when it comes to troubles and suffering and those types of things. But it's how they respond that we need to watch. Again, that doesn't mean everybody responded correctly because the Bible is full of illustrations of people who did not respond correctly and made tons of mistakes. Yes. But God was still there. I've always said to somebody who's, uh, who has a relative that is struggling with the concept of Jesus, with the concept of God, they don't know that it's him. I'm like, the fact that they're angry with God is a good thing. And the reason why is because why are you angry with something that doesn't exist? You can be angry with God. And there's a time for that and your journey's different. And it's frustrating to watch, but guess what? If they're mad at God, they don't have, they don't have an issue with his existence. <laughs> because why would you be mad at something that's a, not there? It's insanity. So, they're upset, and they struggle with the concept of God because of the why. And that's fair. But when we focus on the how do we respond, it changes everything. It changes everything completely our perspective on what God is doing. So, secondly, uh, this illustrate, the scripture illustrates unity. They came together in one accord. Uh, their unity in prayer shows us that they were aligned with the same purpose and the same mindset. Again, I don't know. Were, were they arguing? I have no idea. Could they have? Probably. Maybe. Doesn't matter. In the end, they sorted it out. But they were their unity wasn't just this kind of like, okay, I agree, but deep inside I'm angry and I don't want to. It, it, it wasn't superficial. It was, devote, it was deeply devoted in their devotion to God. It was deeply rooted in that. It's amazing that they were able to maintain that harmony and agreement after everything that went on, the diverse types of backgrounds of each person, uh, their personalities. I mean, Peter's probably pretty difficult to deal with it a lot of times. And he's a fisherman. He's rough. He's tough. He's going to say it how it is. And, and you have to navigate that. And to top it all up, all the stress and grief that they were dealing with, that they were under. And that's, that's when you react the most, you know, either open or vulnerable. So they're under a lot. So when trouble hits, do you scatter? Do you cause division? Do you cause disunity? Or do you lean into God and join the collective in getting a direction and going? Or do you split? It's something you've got to ask yourself. So unity, is it there? The third one is discernment. Um, through prayer, the disciples were able to kind of come together and figure out who was going to replace Judas. And that had to do with them obviously seeking God um, and their devotions. And even though they didn't, at that time, the Holy Spirit wasn't released upon them, they were guided by the principles 
of what Jesus had taught. So they went back to the basics. They went back to their default, how they respond in a regular way. Fourthly, this whole thing is a great example of what we're to do when we are in a difficult situation. Um, the, the disciples prayed. And this, the fact that they all came together with everyone there, it helps us now and all, everyone else through history that that's what you do. That's what you do. You come together. And sometimes the best way to do that is in small groups, but also in the collective. We have to, that's part of it. But small groups, I really think, when September rolls around, you need to think about that because that's where, that's where the things can be discussed. That's where openness can be had. They, the disciples and everyone that came, they demonstrated how to seek God's wisdom, how to be unified and depend on Him in difficult times. And it encourages us to prioritize prayer. It encourages us to trust in God's guidance and rely on the Holy Spirit in every aspect of your life. It's important. We have prayer here every morning for 20 minutes before the service. Think about it. Think about coming. And it's just sitting there praying. Ask God to speak to you, because he will. When people pray for wisdom from God, he does it in tangible ways. And, and I and what do I mean by that? He does it in tangible ways. Well, if you pray for wisdom, he is going to give you situations where you need to be wise. If you pray for patience, be very careful, because he will give you experiences, situations to be patient. If you pray for grace, he is going to give you situations where you need to extend grace. If you pray for love, he gives you situations to be loving and express love. And when you pray for forgiveness, guess what? He is going to give you situations where you need to pray to be forgiving. We think that if we pray for these things, he's just going to go, Poof, I am now forgiving and loving. I am the most gracious human alive because God gave it to me. No. He is going to put you through experiences in tangible ways. In experiences. So, my suggestion is learn without the experiences and just be those things. But that's not how we work. But God, that, that's what happens. He builds your character. He puts you in the muck so that you can express compassion and empathy for those you come into contact with in order to show the character of God. I don't, we don't know why, but he does. When we pray individually and when we pray corporately, he is changing your character. He is developing your character. Let's not only seek God's wisdom and guidance, but be ready to embrace the situations and the opportunities that he brings our way. Our, uh, can I not just not have those experiences? We're all 
going to have those experiences in some way, in some way or another. And when we face these circumstances, these challenging difficulties, let's remember it's an invitation for growth. But, but here's, here's the thing. If someone is going through a difficult time, <laughs> don't, don't be in prayer with them and say, you know what? God's going to use your horrible experience right now. The one you're in, the difficult that you're having, God's going to use it for his glory. It doesn't help people. It doesn't help. Don't say that. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just be there. Be silent. Sit with them. Get in it with them, in the muck, and sit there and maybe experience that pain with them for a while. Something to think about. He's trying to grow your character. And if you avoid it, you will not have that default response. If you avoid everything that God's trying to show you, if you, if you don't run to God instead of repelling from him when bad things happen, saying, I blame you. And again, there always is a time for lament. I mean, Scripture talks, there's a time for everything. And, and, and it's important to lament. It's important to, to, to get in that pain and understand it. But, but the issue is staying there. You can't stay there. And it's not moving on. That's, that's bad advice. People say, you know what? You just got to get up and move on. No, it's not moving on. It's moving forward with that pain. There's a difference. Moving on, you never move on. You never move on from a loss of a loved one, from a divorce, from a... You just don't move on. But you do have to move forward, whatever that looks like. And there's no timeline specifically for anyone. Everyone's different. So you've got to think about how you reframe this. A lot, you know, when I grew up, it was men don't cry, suck it up. So it was. So crying to me was weakness. I'm very uncomfortable around it. There's no doubt about it. But that's my thing but it doesn't mean that I don't. And it doesn't mean that I'm not okay with it. But, but growing up, that's what it was. And, and I don't blame anyone for that. I don't blame my family. I don't blame my parents. I don't, that's, that's not the place. I look at things that they did the best they could with what they were given. And did I learn from it? Did I move forward? And did I allow God to walk me through that? Yeah, he did. He walked me through all sorts of things. Um, did I like it? No. Did I have to experience things? Yes. But, it, but it's time that we come together like this and it's time we come together in groups where we support, we come alongside, we help each other navigate through the challenges and joys of life. We talk through things. You want to be a congregation that, that exemplifies the transformative power of prayer where God speaks wisdom and we respond with Christ-like character. I hope that our prayers are not only requests for God to intervene, but also for him to mold us into the vessels that he wants to turn into grace, into love, into mercy. By developing our character, both individually as we go and do our things, and corporately as a congregation. You've always heard this, that 
People say that our reactions to situations show the type of person we are. Like, we're trustworthy, we're honest, we're ethical, we're caring, we're loving. They say that when we go through things, our, our reaction. How we respond spiritually reveals the type of Christian that we are. How we respond spiritually reveals the type of Christian. What, what type of Christian are you? Do you run to God or do you run away? Do you praise Him or do you ignore Him? Like, what type? And I'm not asking you to answer that now, and it's not to make you feel bad. It's to get you to think, to move forward in your Christian walk. How we respond spiritually reveals the type of Christian that we are. You see, the question should not be, why are we facing the situations that we go through? Rather, the question should be, how are we responding as we go through those situ situations? And again, it's okay. God's got big shoulders. He can handle it. You can be angry. You can be frustrated. You can... But where do you come out the other end? It speaks volume about our character and about our faith. And just as God allows us to face trials and tests in our daily lives, he also allows us to go through spiritual experiences that stretch and refine us. And I believe that we have gone through and are still going through a time of being stretched and being refined. And how we respond to those things will tell what kind of believers we are. I, do we want to know? I hope so. Are we responding with faith? Are we responding with perseverance? Are we responding with resilience? Are we seeking God's wisdom and grace and guidance in the midst of our struggles? Are we displaying love, forgiveness, compassion towards other, others, even when it's difficult to do? I want you to remember one. If you don't remember anything, remember this. Your response matters. Your response matters in your daily walk and in your spiritual walk. In your life with your relationships, your response matters. Will you make mistakes? Yes. But that's where we get to express forgiveness. That's where we get to show. When it talks about how when one person is weak, the other is strong. That's how it works. Mm. It's good. So I'm hoping that our response, my response, will be truly an example of what Christians are, of what people who follow Jesus Christ are. And there are many things right now in our world that are going on, and there have been for the past three to four years, that show what type of Christian we are. And how you respond to that, it's up to you. It doesn't mean we don't have opinions. It doesn't mean we don't have thoughts. It just means how we respond to it. Do we do it in love? Justice will be served, and he is the one who does the serving of the justice, not us. Doesn't mean we don't stand up for those that are struggling. We do. But justice is his. The only thing left to ask you this morning before we go to communion is, are you willing and are you ready to respond in a Christ-like manner. Your response matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you 
You sent your son to die on the cross. You rose to save us all. But there's things we need to do. Help us to remember our response in times of difficulties, in times of good times. It goes the other way as well. Help us to recognize that. Help us to reshape our thinking of how you function and what you do for us. Help us to not stay in the why, but move into the how do we respond. And that when we respond, is it appropriate? Is it showing the character of Jesus Christ? And so as we go to communion to remember Jesus on the cross, the suffering that he had, and then rose from the grave, help us to be that type of person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask um, a couple of people here, uh, Karen and Ernie, they're going to help serve communion. If you would stand with us as we prepare to do just one song. Um, as you come forward and collect the emblems, we'll take that together.